Hello, and welcome to the MKG Podcast, the podcast that helps marketers grow their businesses using the four M's, the right means, messaging, media, and measurement. I'm your host, Carrie Gard, and to help me introduce today's guest, I have our CEO and sales guru, Mike Crass. Mike, thanks for joining me. Hello out there to everyone working from home. Uh, Mike, in your experience as a salesperson, you've been, you've been, uh, you've been our sales guy since the beginning. Remember back in the day, those 40 cold calls you made to one potential client? <laughs> yeah, that would probably be a better conversion rate than what actually happened, but I'll, I'll go with that. One for four. <laughs> that. Probably an all-star, uh, all-star batting average in the sales <laughs> Very early days, we, we as a company have certainly come a long way, and you've certainly learned a lot uh, along the way as well. Um, but in your, in your experience over these last eight to nine years, what do you think is the single most important thing a salesperson needs to help them succeed? I would say the most important thing that a salesperson needs to succeed, and by succeed it means have positive conversations, get proposals out, close deals, that kind of activity. Mm -hmm. I'd say the most important thing is to truly understand their clients and what they're selling to them and how it all fits together. So I will summarize that into a single word, and that is understanding. There's a lot of sales situations where either the salesperson or the person buying has no idea what they really need or want, and they're kind of feeling it out together. And while that can feel productive sometimes, if you don't, as a salesperson, have control over that conversation and are not guiding it towards an answer of, we understand each other. I understand what you sell. I understand what you are trying to buy. If that salesperson can't do that effectively, it can lead to a lot of problems down the road. So it's a very hard thing to truly arrive at understanding and it takes a lot of questions, it takes a lot of meetings, follow-up emails and text messages and phone calls. It's not easy. And it's not easy for a reason. And that's because most often, at least in our sales world here at MKG, people kind of have an idea of what they want, but they haven't quite figured it all out yet. So to be able to bring understanding to that relationship, even if they don't buy from you, is something that that buyer probably will never forget because you help them arrive at, oh, light bulb, here's what I actually want. <laughs> Yeah. And there's so many ways to bring that understanding. I, I agree. There's this sort of like listening thing that happens where you as a salesperson are doing a relatively good job of listening to what the potential client is saying, sort of reading between the lines and then saying, oh, this is really what you're asking for. And, and I'm not in sales, Mike, but in terms of having done these podcasts now for a few seasons and talking to a lot of sales experts, I, I feel like one thing that re they really need as well in order to have those conversations is help from internal teams. So here at MKG, you know, we work really closely together as marketing and sales. And we also sort of like tag team this, this idea of sort of product, quote unquote, in terms of our service lines and what those mean. We work really well together on that. But when you're looking at a big B2B company, especially uh, a uh not a service line, so to speak, but you know, companies that sell products like a lot of our clients, there tends to be a product team, a marketing team, and a sales team. And from my understanding, I'd love to know what your thought is on this, but they don't always 
help each other out in the best way. And so for sales to really have that understanding and to be ready to answer those questions, they really do need help from the marketing team and from the product team to be, you know, make those conversations successful. Would you agree with that? I would. And when you bring that topic up, what immediately came to mind is, well, ultimately everybody wants to sell and they want sales within your company because that means everyone has a job. Mm -hmm. Um, There are the three groups you just mentioned, marketing, sales, and product marketing or a product team. They all have different measures of success. And those measures are what can lead to conflict in an organization, right? Salespeople, they just want to close deals, period. How many deals can I close? How fast? Let's go. I'm a salesperson. I'm going to sell. Marketing has to bring those deals to the table in a lot of cases. And product marketing has to define how are we going to talk about our product in the marketplace? Where do we fit? Where do we win? Where do we get our butts whipped? And so they all, well, they all want to sell ultimately. Really, the salesperson's the only one, he or she, who actually wants to close a deal desperately. Um, the other groups, in my opinion, kind of have these conflicting interests around how, how is this process going? Like a product marketer might say, oh, you closed a deal with Boeing, the aviation company. But you positioned the whole, you positioned our product this way. Like, what the heck? And it's, and the salesperson's like, don't care. They signed, they paid, we're done. And that's the kind of thing where a product person would get really particular about, mm-hmm. well, it shouldn't have worked that way. A marketing person says, well, it looks kind of good to me. And the salesperson <laughs> says, it looks great. It doesn't look good. It looks great. So uh, in agreeing and adding a little bit more, that's just kind of what I see with a lot of our, our clients is that they, they all ultimately want the sale, but the salesperson is the one who says, I'm going to make this happen. And when it does, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear that it wasn't the right deal or perfectly done or the, the contract terms are not, you know, 100% in our favor and 0% in the buyer's favor. Like, it got done, period. This conversation's over. Moving and, on to uh, the next sale. Yeah, I think with Roderick, which you, who you're probably about to introduce here, um, he talks about a unique role that's developing. It's kind of this hybrid role you already alluded to in our, our intro chat here. Um, you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. So that leads me directly into that it, there is a need for all these teams to be working together so that sales is basically getting the support that they need to close these deals. They're getting sale, They're getting support from marketing. They're getting support from product. They're talking about the product the way that the product team thinks they should so that there's no over-promising or under-delivering. Um, the marketing team's delivering the leads that are needed. And you're right. I think all these teams have different priorities. And so what Roderick does is he talks about sales enablement. He talks about bringing somebody in who's what he calls the maestro who gets to sort of conduct this orchestra before him. And so he sits on top of these three teams. He goes into each team, has direct conversations uh, with each team separately, and then sort of creates a plan for how these teams can all work together to support the sales team at the end of the day. It's 
he has got such a great story. I love his approach. Let's, uh, you know, Roderick Jeff, just to give you some background on Roderick, Roderick Jefferson is the leading sales enablement consultant, um, was named that by Selling Power. He owns Roderick Jefferson and Associates and is focused on driving growth in small to mid-sized companies and Fortune 500 companies. He has both the buyer and the seller of high technology products, sales platforms, and professional services. So he understands what resonates with uh, your potential customers. So let's take a listen and learn more about how Roderick sees sales enablement and how you can put it to work for your company. Roderick, thank you so much for joining me on the MKG podcast. Hey, great to be on. I really appreciate it. So we're talking, so why don't you, for our listeners, we've certainly, uh, I've learned about you and, and maybe stalked you on the internet to learn more. Uh, but for our <laughs> listeners, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing now and how you got there? Sure. Um, it all started a long time ago. No, I'm kidding with you. I am a salesperson first and foremost. I started out as a BDR years ago and worked my way up to AE. And then I realized I really enjoyed the process of selling more than I did taking down big deals. So as any good salesperson does, after I'd gone to President's Club a couple of times, I went to our RVP at the time, our regional vice president, and said, hey, what if I could share the things that I'm doing now? And of course, they weren't best practices then. They were just a bunch of templates and tools and such. Mm -hmm. But what if I shared that information across the entire region to get more people up to the level where I was when I was able to make it to President's Club? What do you think about that? And he instantly said, well, if you can do that, you've got a new job. So that new job became sales training. And from there, it's grown into sales enablement, sales productivity, uh, and a number of different titles. But at the end of the day, it's really about making people and companies bigger, faster, and stronger. And what I mean by that is decreasing time to revenue and increasing productivity. So it's been a great run. I've been at some of the most innovative companies in the world from AT&T, Siebel Systems, eBay, PayPal, Oracle, Salesforce, and most recently Marketo before I decided to step out and start my own consulting firm. To help more companies. Absolutely. To take those best practices that we had learned from the previous companies, as well as the clients we have now and share that across the world and scream it from the top of every mountain. And is it your hashtag that you scream from the top of the mountain? Cause I love this hashtag. Hope is not a strategy. <laughs> The hashtag, yes, hope is not a strategy. Now, let me explain that because I get a lot of people asking, what does that really mean? Mm -hmm. What's wrong with hope? And I, like everyone else in the world, believe that hope is a wonderful thing. But when it goes without a plan, there's a problem. And that's where it aligns to the consulting that we do. We're not hoping that we can help companies. We're not hoping we can get certain results. We're not hoping we can find the right metrics. We're not hoping we can increase their sales and their productivity. It is by an intentional plan of the years of experience and all of the tenure from clients that we've been able to work with that we share and that takes the hope out and it turns into a direct and intentional strategy. And I just love that because it's so true. And I, and I love what you're talking about in terms of process and needing those, you need those processes in place and those templates so that you can create this repeatable success, essentially. Yes. Absolutely. 
And part of that is really having the right people in place too. And not, you know, obviously having the templates and the processes in place for sure, but the right people as well. And we talked about this in our, uh, in our initial meeting, how there are so many teams in an organization and how they're all seem to, and sometimes they seem to be in their own sort of worlds and silos working on their own thing and not up towards the greater good, so to speak. And you shared in that challenge with me of seeing that as well. Yeah, you know, and regardless of the size of the company, whether it be a small startup all the way up to Fortune 1000 companies, there seems to be one stable fact, and that's that folks are so busy working on and worrying about the things that their organization is responsible for that they forget about the other lines of business. So that's where, as a sales enablement consultant, we work with all of the lines of business. I mean, HR from their hiring practices and um, product marketing, product management, engineering, technical and non-technical. And the reason is we've got to make sure we understand where the alignment is and where the silos are, and more importantly, what caused them. And here's an analogy I always give, and it's, it's a musical analogy. Look at enablement this way. So in an orchestra, there's a lot of different notes being played by different musicians until one person steps up and taps the stand, being the conductor, and then that turns into a beautiful piece of music. That's exactly what we do in enablement. We turn that noise into beautiful and productive, scalable and repeatable music. And how do you, I mean, in an orchestra, you know that there is the conductor at the front. It's established, they were there from the beginning, they pick out the music, they set everybody down, they say, here's what we're gonna play. And they and everybody knows what their roles and responsibilities are based on the instrument that they play. And in continuing with this analogy, when you're talking about an organization, if this person doesn't exist, I mean, I think from the very beginning, when you're a small company, that person is essentially the visionary, the CEO from the onset. Absolutely. But then that changes. It has to, right? It changes quickly. And and that's where as a seasoned professional and, and practitioner we come in from the outside. There's a couple of things that, that we do. First of all, we don't have a horse in the race. We're, we don't have a slant towards the marketing. We don't have a slant towards sales or a slant towards technical. So now we're an objective set of eyes that we're just here to look at the facts and understand what's in place and what's missing. And then what we can do is what we, we just, we step back and we do a gap analysis. And that gap analysis will tell us where the connections are, where the strengths are, where the weaknesses are, from the executive level top down, and also we speak to individual contributors from the top up, and we always get different feedback from those two groups. So where we start is that delta that's between those two of saying an executive team thinks this, the sellers or the folks out in the street are actually doing this, let's figure out how we can bring those closer together as a team now. And then we do the same thing individually across all of the multiple lines of business. And then what's the, what's the outcome that you're sort of looking for? I mean, I know that these teams aren't necessarily talking to each other, but why, why is that a problem? Well, the outcome is that very thing that you just said. They're generally not talking to each other and they're not collaborating as strong as they can be. So our general outcome in our executive summary comes in three parts. Here are some keywords that we heard over in the interviews. 
here's some key themes across the lines of business. And then individually, here's where we're seeing the strengths and the weaknesses. And finally, and I'll give you a fourth, my apologies on three, but and then finally four, here's where we can put this into an execution plan to shore up those holes, tighten up the silos, and also prepare you not just for three to six months, but what does a year, three year, five year plan look like from a strategic perspective based upon us working with companies that look like you? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest challenges with this is that all these different silos, all these different or, you know, teams within the organization, they all speak their own language, right? It's almost like going into all these different countries and trying to have a conversation. Nobody's on the same page because we all speak. I mean, I know if you walk into a marketing room, you're probably going to hear at least 15 acronyms in the first five minutes and not know what any of those mean. At uh, least 15. <laughs> and they probably mean the same thing, different things in different companies that you've worked at. So now that Absolutely. So is part of what you do then also to sort of be this translator between the teams? As you well? absolutely nailed it. I call us the translators of dialects and languages. I don't expect, expect marketing to speak sales and sales to speak engineering and engineering to speak product marketing and product marketing to speak man, pro management. That's our job as sales enablement. So here's what we do. We go and we work with each of those and then we go out to the prospects and to clients and we find out from them. Then we come back inside and we say, hey, HR, first of all, we're finding out that um, we, we may need to reassess our IEP, which is our ideal employee profile for hiring for where we're trying to go to because we're maybe bringing in folks that are too junior and not prepared to speak at an executive level. Hey, product marketing, what we found out is the people out in the real world, prospects and customers, they love the company pitch. But when we get to slide seven, it gets a little fuzzy. Can we either remove that or smooth it out? Then we'll go to product management and say, hey, you know what? We've talked to 10 different clients and prospects. They've asked for the very same things. How do we get that moved up on the release cycle? And then finally, we go back to sales and we say, you know what? What we're finding out is people are out messaging and positioning very, very differently. What if we come back and look at an accreditation or a certification to ensure that everyone is saying things the very same way, that they're using similar case studies and use cases, and that they're actually speaking the language of the prospect or the customer and not trying to get them to learn our language. So we are truly the translators of dialects and languages and have to speak every language that's inside of the company and be able to ultimately translate that into where does the company fit into the buying journey of their prospective prospects and or of their existing customers. And this is what this is what you and your team do. Is there any benefit? I mean, I think there's definitely tremendous benefit to having consultants come in, outside viewers, fresh perspective, people who've been doing this for a long time, who see across, you know, multiple companies on how this has been done, and then bringing that in, you know, to another company. Is there any value to having this? in-house because it sounds like it's an ongoing thing like it would be great to bring you guys in but then you know yes there's a plan but how do you keep that plan going and how do you ensure that plan's going to come to fruition is do you want to hire somebody to continue the mission or do you guys check in what's what's sort of the benefit between you know using consultant versus potentially in how you know using this in-house fantastic question and there are benefits to both by using a consultant what you get is tenure and experience outside again with those 
eyes that are seeing things for what they can be, not just what they are today. You're also getting the experience of a consultant that has worked across multiple spaces, not just in high tech. We've worked in med tech, in manufacturing, in financial services, et cetera. So now we have collective best practices to be able to bring. And we've also worked with both small startups all the way up to some Fortune 100 companies. So we've seen what works and what doesn't work and what that growth pattern looks like. Now that's great for a consultant. We also take an approach of and not or. So yes, a lot of companies are hiring and building out their own sales enablement programs. And we're still working with those companies because what we do is we come in and we, and we look at it from a bunch of different perspectives. And here's the value of having someone in-house and also working with a consultant. Then I'll talk about just having someone in-house alone. By having a team in-house and still working with a consultant like us, we look at five pieces. We can help with things like infrastructure and augmentation by providing step-by-step -step guides in getting the project done and also establishing some success criteria because we've done it before. The second is we can provide team support to the sales enablement team. When I was in-house, I had no less than 10 deliverables in a given quarter. That's unrealistic. Even as a VP, it's unrealistic, regardless of the size of your team. So what we do is we help provide our processes and programs, best practices and tools as kind of an extra set of hands, if you will. You take those five, we'll take four or five of these, and then we'll meet in the middle. And ultimately that team looks like the rock star because they've met all of their objectives. The third piece is providing sales leadership coaching. Unfortunately, a lot of times companies find rock stars and then they promote them to manager, but they never actually teach them how to lead. We focus on making those leaders coaches and providing a mix again of best practices, tools, but we also have a coaching um, infrastructure in place to make sure that that's a long-term piece. The fourth piece is sales-focused metrics. A lot of teams are still looking at butts and seats and NPS scores as measurements, not us. We're looking at how are we decreasing time to revenue? How are we increasing productivity? How are we now building a stronger funnel? What are we doing from a coaching perspective? And then ultimately, from an infrastructure perspective, what are they doing, this company, to build out and create more leaders, not just followers? And then the fifth and final piece is around strategic consulting, right? It's now that you have all of these different programs and processes and tools everywhere, how do we make that an end-to-end -end from onboarding all the way through coaching and continuing education process? Now, that's with working with a consultant. If you're going to build things in-house, what I would recommend is find out where the strength is in your sellers because there's an enormous amount of credibility of having someone from sales move into a sales enablement position because they've already done it out in the field. They're already used to talking to customers. They're already know generally the messaging and positioning, and they're now prepared to step into the process piece of pulling all of this together because they've been through all of the enablement tactics at some point somewhere. Now they've figured out what works and what doesn't work. Does that answer your question? Yeah, and does that sales enabler, let's assume uh, that somebody gets promoted in, internally, but this all seems to be stemming from sales. So in, in that, do they still go out and speak to all the different teams within the organization and can and pull those things through or is that just specifically what you do as consultants no 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 that's also the role of the person internally and again going back to that and messaging that i was saying earlier that's where we can help them to hire those folks we can provide job descriptions 
um, because we've been those folks and we've hired for those positions. And then once they're on, we can help groom them and or all of those things I talked about earlier, turn that over to them and give them what we call the, the blueprint of success and then send them off and running and then come back and touch bases periodically to make sure that these things are happening, something we call a health check, to make sure that the metrics are in place, the infrastructure is moving forward, the connection between the lines of business are happening. And that's where, again, we can provide secondary assistance by giving them best practices of what's working or we give them the best practice and we send them on and they run with it from there and we'll move on to the next client. The point is though, you need a role where somebody sits, preferably from sales because they have these skill sets already, but, but somebody who sits between the executive team and everybody else essentially who can interview each team member, each, each team and then each team member to understand what the challenges are, where the gaps are and sort of communicate and be the translator between these teams to keep everybody sort of moving in the same direction. But the the direction sounds like it's really in line with what's happening from a client standpoint. Like that seems to be where all this is stemming from. Like what absolutely client nailed it. Because if you ask 10 people or 10 companies, what sales enablement means, you'll get 12 different answers. It's something different in every company. Now there are some consistent components of this, but it's different in every company. So to your point, yes, you need one single individual or a team, depending upon how large your company is, that is responsible solely for ensuring that enablement is in place, that it's iterative, that it's constantly growing, and that it's connecting all of the lines of the business internally. Otherwise, what you get is a bunch of mixed messaging. You get inconsistent selling. You get uh, poor quota attainment. And even worse, what you wind up with is every region, whether it be here in the States or let's take that broad, if you're a global company, you're all seeing similar things, but different ways. And so you're now confusing the market and you're also giving your competition an opportunity for an open door to come in and seize that confusion that you're seeding in the market unknowingly. So you, you, it's the eyes it's the yeah it's like the eyes and ears of the organization and then the voice sort of pull it all together and so in this uh you could you you mentioned that you could take somebody already internally it, it doesn't it sounds like you definitely want this person how you get this person there's a couple ways of going about and doing it right. from using a consultant like we talked about, and also hiring internally, but you also mentioned grooming someone and have and and promoting them from internally. Is this the if you would promote somebody internally to do this job? Is this the only thing that they do, or can they continue? No, you know it's yes. I'm gonna take that back. It is the only thing they should be focused on, and that's where the charter comes into play. And that charter of sales enablement says two things. One. Here's what we're responsible for. And secondarily, here's what we're not responsible for. Otherwise, sales enablement becomes kind of like IT. And my apologies in advance to IT. I love them. They've saved my career a number of times. But IT, they are the fixers of broken things. That's not the job of enablement. 
Enablement is really, as I said, to partner and be the hub that spokes out to every other part of the organization. So you need someone that is solely responsible for that. This is not a part-time job. This is not a secondary piece of your job. They have to be laser focused on doing two things, decreasing time to revenue and increasing sales productivity. And it sounds kind of like a big job. <laughs> Huge job. And I don't mean to make it sound easy because it's a lot of things, but easy is not one of them. So this is where you really need an individual that's focused on deliverables, on tasks, on communication, on collaboration, and also on the particular and specific metrics that have to be followed and have to be shown and, and articulated to make sure that they can validate the job that they're doing and how they're actually helping the company move forward and create more revenue. I imagine there's going to be some transitional hiccups, if you will, around getting the rest of the company sort of on board. There could see the executive team being like, yes, 100%, we need this thing. And the rest of the company being like, this is just going to slow us down and create more process and more things that we have to do and more meetings and more, 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 where I just want to sit and do my job. Do you find that to be the case? Is there sort of this transitional element that needs to happen? I mean, how do you, how do you get this into an organization where everybody's like, yeah, this sounds great. <laughs> well, it depends upon the maturation cycle of the company. First and foremost, some companies you have to literally quote unquote, sell sales enablement on what they do and, and what the value of us are. Other companies, they're hungry and starving for it. So what they're looking for is, is people that will take this and run with the ball. And it's not easy, but we have realized that by doing one simple thing, it makes it easier. And that simple thing is this, focus on why, not what enablement does. Why is it important that we decrease time to market? Why is it important that we focus on the customer buying journey? Why is it important that we have to have metrics around this? Why is it important that all of the lines of business are work, work, excuse me, working and reading from the same sheet of music again? And then ultimately, why will this then lead into the overall goals and objectives of the company? Wouldn't some of the teams argue that that's their job? Like I could see marketing being like, well, we're responsible for the buyer's journey and the sales team being like, well, we're responsible for the, I mean, sales is a, a little, it's a little bit of an easier sell because they're coming from the sales team. But, you know, I could see, you know, HR being like, I know what our people need. Like, this is my job to figure out what the job description is. Like, how do you break down those walls to be like, yes, yes, that is your job. All I'm doing here is well, enabling the way we you to do it better. Is, we right? position ourselves as a partner first and foremost. And again, an additional set of eyes in sales enablement, whether it be consultant or internally. And so let me go back to the examples you gave. Yes, product marketing, it is your job to create the messaging and positioning for the company. The job of enablement is to ensure that all of our customer-facing folks are messaging and positioning your words, your thoughts and actions consistently and scalably out in the real world. Yes, HR, it is your job to define and write things like job descriptions. But where we partner with you is because we're working with these folks hand in hand, we see them from the day that they onboard all the way through their continuing journey. We see some gaps. We also see some opportunities for growth and we see some consistent places where they start to trip. 
What if we could work together to remove those roadblocks and make sure that we can smooth out the journey for them? Yes, sales, it is your job to get out there and sell. We never claim to close deals or own closing deals. We influence those. So what if we partnered and we could provide you with feedback and metrics on things like how they're doing on certification and accreditations, how we're now increasing the average deal size, how they're using the collateral and how frequently. What if we were to say how they're now creating more pipeline faster and they're closing bigger deals. You've got more people that are attaining quota. The win rate is going up. The time to revenue is shortening. There is not one sales leader in the world that's going to say no to that. I, I can't imagine why they would other than, I mean, I guess my last question on this is just uh, from a cost standpoint, like from a, I can imagine from bringing a consultant in, it makes a ton of sense in, in the way that you've sort of set the process up, but how do you justify essentially the return on investment of that? I mean, do you have like clear cut metrics to say, if we come in, we can expect your, you know, sales to close quicker by X percent and, you know, your ROI to essentially be this? Absolutely. I mean, without hard line facts and figures like that, then we're just theorists. So we look at this in two pieces, the ROI first and foremost. And we use our previous clients, our case studies, and also the video testimonials from them that talk about how we help them to build out an organization, how we help them to decrease time to revenue, how their sellers are more productive, how there's more alignment engagement internally. Here's an example. We worked with one company and we came in, we realized after doing some research, that it was taking them 88 days for their new hires to get to close their first sale. By the time we were done with them after our engagement, that 88 days had now gone down to 54 days. Think about the productivity that you get mm -hmm. and the additional revenue faster. Those are the kind of numbers we're giving on the ROI side. Now, there's something else on the other side and we called COI, which is the cost of inaction. What happens if you keep doing things the same way you're doing right now and don't make any changes with us? Well, what about your competitive landscape? Because with acquisitions and new companies coming, all the time that's being impacted. What if we could help you get a faster time to market or you keep doing it the way it is and your competitors overtake you and now you've gone from number one to number four or number four to number 25? What if we don't work with your sales leaders and get them a consistent coaching methodology and you continue to lose folks and churn and have to hire sales folks over and over and over? What if you don't have a consistent onboarding program for your new hires and that word gets out to the street that makes it now more difficult for HR and recruiting to bring people in? So it's two pieces. It's the ROI, the return on investment, and then it's the COI, the cost of inaction. Yeah, I think this makes a ton of sense. I is there is there roles within the company that already sort of, you know, I'm in an agency, so I'm not on the marketing side, and, and I'm not you know part of a an IT or SaaS company. So I'm speaking from just trying to fully understand how a company is set up. But is it possible that there's already somebody like this? Maybe not doing to the full extent that that you're suggesting, but that 
is already sort of, I, I feel like not the CEO or, or, but like somebody above, right above like that CM, like right above that, um, like VP of marketing, VP of sales, like is there somebody already sitting there that's going to feel like their toes are stepped on or is this a brand new idea? Oh, well, generally it's none of those pieces because they all have a, a vertical responsibility. Okay. In the larger companies, right. it would be the COO or the chief operating officer and tied together with the CRO, the chief revenue officer. Those two are responsible for these pieces, but those are not the people that you want doing this because they're too busy trying to run the organization and they're too busy to come down into the weeds to get this done. And that's why they hire sales enablement folks. In the smaller companies, it's usually someone in the marketing department. Now here's the problem with that. They only look at this with marketing eyes. And then sales says, wait, we're getting leads, but they're garbage. And marketing says, hey, but we're giving you great leads. What do you need? You need someone in between those two to translate what does great leads really look like that you're saying marketing, and sales, why are you saying that you're getting garbage leads? Well, let me tell you what marketing is doing. And, and marketing, let me show you what sales enablement is actually asking for. Because they feel like you're giving them what you think they need versus here's what they're actually trying to say in marketing speak. So how do we translate that back into sales speak so we have a win-win on both sides? So as you grow within an organization, looking at the COO and saying, I can help you and I, we can do this on a much grander scale and much deeper and much more effective and quicker essentially than all the things that you're trying. I mean, I'm a COO, so <laughs> yes uh, to all of those things. Um, uh, it, it's also making me think about my own role and maybe uh, starting to, to think through some of those things and how to go and do, I, you know, I'm not in a, in a tech company or a med tech or any of those. But I mean, I can see how some of this would be value even within using it within my own organization. And then, you know, if scale was to come someday, eventually where I will have a wholesale team and a whole marketing team, I don't know, maybe not. Um, but I could see the value in this from, from a brand standpoint and it really being powerful, especially when you put those metrics behind. I mean, I can't really argue with ROI. <laughs> no, it's tough to, and, and you just nailed it. And it's, that the great thing about enablement is we're a horizontal play. It doesn't mean that because you're an agency, you don't need us, or you're in med tech or high tech, or you're in SaaS, or you're in manufacturing, or you're in financial services. The answer is yes, across that horizontally, you're going to need someone that owns this responsibility, especially as a COO, because you can't do it all and you can't be everywhere. And we that's try. Cool, right, <laughs> operationally, You've got to stay at a certain level. Otherwise, you'll be too busy working in the business to work on the business. Exactly. That's where sales enablement comes in. We are working in the business hand in hand with the lines of business and the business owners to make sure that all the dots connect so that ultimately we can be the strongest, the biggest, the most efficient and most effective company when it comes to sharing our experience. And I don't mean tenure. I mean, we don't sell solutions. We don't sell products. We sell the experience of working with us as a company to then impact the customer buying journey. That's the value of sales enabled. Thank you so much for joining me, Roderick. This has been a joy to hear you talk about your passion. It clearly is a passion and how sales enablement can help us all in terms of 
having better communication across our organization and impacting the greater good essentially. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And if there's anyone that like to, would love to talk deeper about this, reach out to us at roderickjefferson.com. Well, thank you for joining me. This was a pleasure and I will get all that information out to you. Sounds good. Have a fantastic day. You too. So that was my conversation with Roderick Jefferson. Man, I just love saying his name. <laughs> it just sounds so cool. He is. He's a really cool guy. I had a great conversation with him. Mike, uh, sales enablement, pretty cool new role, I think. What are, what are your thoughts? And have you, seen, have you seen this in action? In the wild, yes. Uh, yeah, I know you just threw this question at me without any preparation, so I, I guess I'll just dust off an answer for you. <laughs> uh, I, I was thinking about this listening to Roderick speak, and I've heard sales enablement in terms of roles and titles be called sales enablement. Sometimes it's sales ops, short for sales operations. Other times it is revenue ops or rev ops for short. Uh, a couple examples that immediately come to mind. Number one, uh, Zoom. So the video conferencing company mm -hmm. who uh, is based technically out of San Jose. Um, they have a massive sales ops organization. I actually have a, a few friends in the industry who work for Zoom and one of their, a few of their offices here in the United States. Um, so seeing them be sort of the glue, for lack of a better term, between marketing as well as different sales teams, uh, whether it's inside sales, you know, upsells, uh, value-added selling into your current customer base, um, they, are, they play the role of glue at Zoom. And it's their job to kind of bring everything together and say, hey, you know, did you know about this? Did you know about that? The other place I've seen this. Um, is real quick, Mike, sorry. I just want to call out Zoom real quick because I think it's important to note that they do have this amazing sales team and they have this team that's the glue essentially that I haven't seen so much, but, but their growth these last few years, I think is a testament to the fact that they do have this in place because they're growing, like doubling their staff year over year essentially is is been their has been their trajectory from what we saw when we went to visit their offices so uh i just want to call that out like they have this thing that seems to be different than other companies we've seen and their growth is is insane absolutely the other example that comes to mind is a company by the name of workado uh, they're based in san francisco in the city i believe and they have a pretty big RevOps and sales op. Not pretty big, that's not true. They have a RevOps and sales ops function within that company. And again, their, their role is to, to be the glue. And, and that phrase, the glue, is really my phrase, right? I don't mm -hmm. really hear that a lot in the industry, but when I think of them and I try and create something that's tangible to be a metaphor, um, they're the glue there, right? They're the glue between marketing um, the director of revenue or the chief revenue officer and the sales team. It's up to them to really make sure that, Hey, you know, we're getting all the opportunities we can. We're positioning ourselves. Well, um, I'm a conduit to getting deals moving to an answer, whether that answer is yes or no, doesn't matter. You obviously want more yeses than no's, <laughs> but the idea of being a conduit is yes or no is a final answer. Even if it's no for right now, Right. It's 
much better than, I don't know, still kind of evaluating, don't have a process. It's this loosey goosey thing where now you're dedicating time and energy to try and figure that out for the buyer. Um, so the idea of being a conduit or being that glue person to get to yes or no is really important at a company like Workata, which is much smaller than Zoom. And even though they're much smaller by orders of magnitude, they're probably a couple hundred people compared to Zoom is at a couple thousand people in terms of full time. Um, that was still something that was so important for Workata that they're actually, while they're a fraction of the size of Zoom, they still invested in this function to make sure that they have it from a very early stage. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if like Zoom, they are able to use that sales enablement position and function to help them uh, grow just like Zoom did. Great examples, Mike. Thank you for sharing. If you'd like to learn more about Roderick Jefferson, you can go to his LinkedIn profile. Uh, I'll share the link below in the notes. You can also visit his website, which is again in the notes. Uh, he's got some great resources. His tagline, which I love and want to share, is he's all about decreasing time to revenue and increasing sales productivity. I don't think you can sum it up any better way. So definitely check out what Roderick's going on. Check out all of his resources and see how sales enablement can help you. Thank you for listening to the MKG podcast, the podcast that helps marketers grow their businesses using the four M's, the right means, messaging, media, and measurement. I'm your host, Carrie Gard, and until next time.